0: You are now listening to the Hunter's Advantage Podcast. We preserve the history and sport of hunting through curious conversation and action-packed hunts, as well as offering you tips and strategy for more successful hunts. Welcome back to the Hunter's Advantage Podcast. This is episode 104. We're going to be continuing our Public Land 101 mini series. this episode. But before we do that, we are joined by a couple special guests. Peyton Carroll and Jacoby Gaylord. What's <laughs> up, boys?
1: What's going
2: on? About time Carroll shows up.
0: This is only our third take on trying to record this.
2: Yeah, he can, blame, uh, he can blame our dogs for that, and Christian's wife. little difficulties.
0: So when you, before you jump back on, Peyton, I just subtly heard Winston in the background going, at my door, as soon as Lauren leaves, he wants to see me again. He's like, <laughs> <laughs> it made me want to kick him.
2: It's fine. Y'all got to tell me if you hear me. She's in her cage. She shouldn't be barking. But if she does, y'all just got to tell me because I can't hear a thing.
0: She's wondering why you're doing this to her. You don't ever treat her like this. That's true. If, if I'm home, she has never done cage time if I'm actually home. <laughs> I love it. Well, so today we're going to obviously continue the Public Land 101 series. What have we covered so far, Jake? We've covered boots on the ground scouting. We've covered e-scouting.
1: Yeah, digital boots on the ground. Uh,
0: regulations. How to find a piece of public. Ethics. Yep, hunting ethics on public. We're getting really close. I think we have this trail cam episode, and then we have a time for the hunt actual hunt episode. So we're almost there.
2: Anyways, we're going
0: to be starting a new series on the podcast. I think it was going to be seven or eight weeks, and we're going to call it Public Land Hunting 101. And kind of the goal with the series is we're going to take you from start to finish of what it takes to hunt white-tailed deer on public land. A look into the other topics that we're going to discuss, and these aren't necessarily in any order. But we're going to also, with hunting ethics, we're going to talk about map scouting, uh, finding a piece of land and understanding regulations, boots on the ground scouting, trail camera strategy, and time for the hunt, what to expect, what to bring, those sort of things. So it's going to be a multi-week series series and we're going to hopefully cover all you guys need to know start to finish on how to hunt whitetail on public
1: land. This is like this is like Christmas morning. We're basically talking about Christmas morning. Talking
0: about trail cams? Yes. To us this is Christmas morning just in 106 degrees.
1: Yep. Well, so
0: I did want to give people a little bit of a background into kind of our experience running trail cams on public land. So I think as a group, we've collectively kind of been running trail cams for over five years is the numbers that I came up with, but talk a little bit about Jake or, or How many days in the last two summers have we spent scouting and running trail cams on public? I got my figures. What do you guys think? Too many. (laughs) (laughs) What do you really think? What do you got, Jake? Just in the last year,
1: like two years,
0: two two summers.
1: So I think, what would that be? I'd probably say we did. I'm horrible with math. What do you think? Two weeks, two weeks per summer,
0: two weekends or two weeks? Two weeks. I got an average of three days on a weekend, and we've done three weekends each summer. So there's that's 18 days by my calculations
1: you No, know, you know 14 18 it's basically all the same it's math
0: <laughs> yeah so all basically all we're saying is it's we spent a lot okay leave me alone we spent a lot of time out there looking at freaking trail cameras and so through that time i think we've developed at least a couple of different strategies that we use so today we're going to talk about two different trail cam running styles we're going to talk about where we like to hang cameras and then the last thing we're gonna touch on is um some listener QA and kind of what trail cams we like to use. So anyways, let's jump into the two different styles. And the way I wanted to differentiate between these two is they're all about the difference between these two styles is how much effort you want to put in and how much time you want to spend out there. It seems like the more we get each one of us gets married engaged, like you just get more obligations. So it just seems like you naturally go to one of these styles, but let's talk about what we did the last two summers, which I like to call set and reset often. So what you did, like to call it that, but do you actually like doing it? I do not like to do it. But <laughs> I like, that's that's what I call it. Yeah. And this is, I think this style is best for people that are willing to, either they have a lot of time on their hands or they just want to commit a lot of effort into scouting and finding the biggest buck possible. Jake, kind of talk a little bit about where um or how we start with this strategy. Kind of the the nets, right? The wide net, smaller net.
1: Yeah, so and this is the hang and bang and move around strategy. That's right.
0: Set and reset.
1: Yeah, the set and reset strategy, I guess is a better is a better name for it. So basically what we did starting in the 2020 season is we lit up the piece of public we were hunting, basically like a Christmas tree with onyx points. And from there, we just did the boots on the ground like we talked about. And, it, you know, it, it's kind of weird saying all this. Like, the system we used is a system we put out for for other people to listen to. Hmm. Anyways, so yeah, we, we did that, did boots on the ground, and we found those spots, and the way we did it, and I feel like you could talk pretty, pretty well on this because at the time I was like new to this mountainous area. Right. Because I, where I'm used to hunting was almost like a, it was in Northeast Oklahoma. So it's like a, basically a Southern Kansas. And so like, like there's, I don't want to say there's a lot of ag fields cause I don't want to call this place like an ag town, but there's limited amount of timber and a whole lot of, just open pasture basically is what i'd call it and so when you're doing that in that timber you can really see the fine trails stuff like that where the deer actually cross you know the deer like it's for sure sign that this is deer and down there it's in this other piece of oklahoma it's not as abundant the sign's not as abundant like you can go and it can look like a deery area but you're not going to get that satisfaction of seeing the tracks or you know just basically the rutted trail of of all that sign you, you're just not going to get that you try to look for the funnels and it seems like down there there's an unlimited amount of funnels but leading back to trail cameras the way we do it is we find those funnels and we set one, two, three and sometimes four cameras all in like a little it might be a 15 yard radius and it might be a 60 yard radius and what we do is we leave those because I mean everybody knows trail cameras don't paint the whole picture and so what we would do is because there's no defined trails or anything like that we would just kind of space them out that way we kind of felt like we got a good a good grip of that area whether we know a buck is traveling throughout that area or not and so the way we did it is we set the cameras, like four at each location, and I think we started out with like 25 cameras at one point, and then throughout the years, either they'd get lost, windled their way down. Yeah, they'd, <laughs> they'd get your by, by a fellow. Yeah, so that's the way we did. We had like 25 cameras, and let's say we put easy math because I'm horrible at math. Five at a spot, that's like 18 spots. No, I'm just kidding. That's like five spots, and uh, and so that's what we would do. We would go set them out. I think the earliest we set them out was like, what, July? I want to say we did
0: June one year, but I feel like it might have been July.
1: Yeah, I I guess, tomato, tomato. But then what we'd do is we'd come back three weeks to a month later, and we'd go check those cameras. And if it had a picture of a giant buck, great. We would maybe try to focus that area. And the cameras that didn't pick up on that buck as much or not at all, we'd try to move to a different area. To try to pinpoint exactly like where he's, where's I guess his home range would be. I don't want to get off on too long of a rant, so I mean you can stop me at any point. But the way we did that was, like I said, if the camera, if a camera in that group of four or five wasn't producing, we would move it, depending on what the other cameras told us. Like if it was nighttime pictures, okay, depending on how how, depending on how late or early in the day or in the nighttime, that buck that we wanted to target showed up we would kind of like see which way you know it looked like he was coming into the camera and then we would kind of be like okay let's look on onyx or hunt stand or whatever you want to use and let's see try to figure out where he's coming from and then that's what we'd kind of base the the trail cam strategies off of so it was like super fast paced and it kind of sucks because there are times that that it seemed like a spot might be good but it just wasn't good and that like in the summer, which is true because you know there's bucks that summer places and then they and then they fall in different places as well. And so you kind of might miss out on that opportunity, but for what we were trying to do, we were just trying to locate bucks and locate bucks fast. And that's kind of the way we did it.
2: Yeah.
0: I think when so I like to think about all this as like a funnel, right? Like you're starting your net as wide as you can and then you're like slowly getting narrower and narrower. But didn't we in the beginning start out with like, I thought, I thought we had like 10 different spots, like just through a couple cameras here, a couple cameras here, like a couple, three. Ca- yeah, like just, we started out with, so first of all, we run 20 cameras, which I don't think is, we don't do that on one piece anymore, but we did it last summer and the summer before, and it was like just too much to, to deal it was with a lot of work. I think it was way too much work when it was one hundred six 100, 100 degrees. But we started out with that wide net of let's find 10 spots and put out two cameras a piece. And then we slowly started knocking off what areas we wanted to go to and getting narrower and narrower. And by the end, it felt like we had, after doing this two or three times, we had four to five areas that we had four to five cameras a piece at. And that's a lot more manageable. And did we, did we get any yoinked this year?
1: I don't think we got any yoinked. Uh yes. Yes, we did. Because remember uh the kickstand spot? Yeah, we did get one yoinked there. There was one yoinked. And but other than that, I think the the year before, I don't know if we got any yoinked. I think we just lost those, like just misplaced them. I'm surprised it didn't get yoinked where where Peyton was hunting by the three stooges. <laughs> <laughs> Funny story, and I think Carol needs needs to tell this real quick. Carol actually yoinked
2: another guy's camera on public. That's that we true. Didn't. How'd that
0: happen? That, that,
2: that camera. <laughs> oh man. That camera was like 10 yards away from our cameras. So I, I don't know. I just grabbed our camera and then same brand
0: and same color, yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah. Same, camera. same everything. And I just, uh, I just grabbed the cameras around and got back and boy, they had some photos. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> guys, I don't think we set these cameras out. It was uh, like in an- August. Yeah. And I, and they were like, no, you guys were like, no, it would have been like late August, early September. And I was like, something's not right here. And they had really, really good photos of a bunch of good deer. And it turns out it was the guys that, you know, we hunted down there with, we knew and said, Hey, do you guys have a camera that's got the like blue and orange wiring? And they're like, no, but the guy that hunts with this does, he hadn't been down there in a long time. I was like, well, I grabbed y'all's camera. We gave it back to him just uh deleted the good photos off of it and yeah <laughs> i'm just joking we didn't we gave uh we gave it back to them and it turns out they don't hunt back there anyways so we we're all good to go basically you did them a favor
0: you basically checked it and gave it to them
2: i would have been like nice Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah they're super nice guys thankfully I, I was pretty uh pretty nervous to go up to them but they were super nice and like i said they didn't hunt back there so they didn't care but well
0: yeah Work got fun.
2: out I guess pretty quick about the deer on camera back there because I was uh, I was competing pretty quick. That's true.
0: So, let's talk about the pros and cons of this strategy. What uh what are the cons of this strategy, Carol? Like going and setting and checking them out like every freaking once a month or every 3 weeks. What do you dislike about that one in
2: the <laughs> summer? Well, I'm different. Um You're built different. So, yeah, I'm I'm built a little different. The cons for me, um I mean I really don't see in my perspective going and setting cameras out, uh, in August. I mean, I don't really see any point in it from my perspective because it doesn't matter till October 1st. We, we know that the deer know that it's, it's, it's game time when October 1st hits, it's game time, especially where we hunt. I mean, they just, I don't know if they have a community group, you know, a Facebook page of what's going on out there. But when October 1st hits, I mean, we see it, we see the same deer, from August, I mean July all the way to September 30th. The same deer, same routine when I mean when those trucks start heading in there though, it's just not the same. But, you know, like you said, there's pros and cons. The pros it lets you know what's in that area, but the cons, I mean, I think the biggest con is is it just doesn't matter till October 1st.
0: What about from an effort perspective, like you how much effort you have to put in to run them every like 3 weeks?
2: It's a lot of effort, but to put in perspective, um, what we've we've been down on public land for for three years. I have shot. I've had one arrow flung at a decent deer that gave me a good opportunity, but I also wasn't the guy that set out the cameras, didn't find the spots. But you guys have flung how many arrows at how many deer, and you guys have been down there so many times. I think it reflects, you know, the effort that you put in reflects how many arrows. You know, you get you to let shoot. fly Yeah, you I flung mean, you, two arrows, Carol. I flung two arrows. One was a good shot. One was I shouldn't have taken. The, you the got to kill po- though, too. The seven point, yeah. The, the seven point. I should not have taken that shot with that buck behind my stand and me veering out like that. But the
1: shooter shoot. shoot Sometimes like, I'm public. Oh, you got to make something happen. So I mean any one of us would have did that.
2: Yeah. But also, you know, back in, uh, in the spot that I hunted, we went and set trail cameras. We put the effort in and I've got to, I got to see the big eight. It was for only one day, but you know, I had one good hunt until, uh, pressure came in. But other than that, it was good until that happened. I mean, but yeah, I think it, I really do think it reflects how much effort you put in. Um, look at, I mean, my brother's group, they go down there they put the effort in, they all shoot, you know, they all shoot a deer a year at least. So I didn't, I didn't, I haven't put the effort in. I haven't got a deer. It kind of shows I, yeah, I killed one, one deer, but it was uh unfortunate event.
0: Dude, the community okay. center, it just produces. That's just the spot for the community.
2: I mean, it's, there's just good spots and you know, I, well, I say that I think each spot has pros and cons you know there's spots where they'll hang around and then there's spots where they just roam but i wouldn't really say oh hey this spot is so much better than the other because there's nothing down there i mean there's no pattern there's no food there's only water here and there they're just they're just moving for the day they don't know where they're going to end up i guarantee you a deer doesn't bed in the same spot two days in a row down there i don't think so either it's just weird
0: yeah, I don't mean to sound like Cameron Cam Haines because I'm not that guy. I don't run to hunt and all that kind of stuff. But Jake and I have talked about like it kind of seems seems like the mountain keeps score down there. It knows like who's put in work and who hasn't. It seems like it knows like when you have put in the effort and when you haven't. Agree yeah. or disagree?
2: No, I, it's it, you know superstition, whatever you want to call it. But I, I agree with it. I believe in that stuff. That's just how I am. I mean, it shows. I mean, I you know I hunt with two, you know my brother two groups. You guys and my brother's group when you all aren't down there. But it shows the people that have been down there put the work in. They get deer. The but people that have not. Now you you, you a blind squirrel totally t- finds a nut every once in a while. But yeah, I, I'm trying something new. I mean, obviously the last two years what I've done, I, I've really put all my eggs in one basket. You know, in one spot each year um i go down there i see deer i'm not gonna move but this year it's you know i got the saddle it's it's time to move around let the cameras talk you know give me the idea but it's time to move around
1: you i mean any- it can't
2: it can't get any worse right so yeah. i mean why not try
1: christy do you have any added pros or cons I like the set and
0: reset method. Like I really like it because you get to check out a lot more areas than you normally would if you just set your cameras out and let them sit. But that being said, um if you have the time, I would recommend it. Like for single guys or um guys that maybe live live by themselves or don't have a family yet. This is this or is maybe an closer to a Or yeah, or you live close to WMA. I have to commute every time I hunt, so this I'm terrible at giving advice. But for, for those kind of people that have more time or they're just super driven and willing to put in a ton of effort, I would recommend this strategy over a sit and soak because I like it because you can find a buck and then you can really, really narrow in on them. Now you can mess it up by going in there every single weekend and checking your cameras, but, but oh, go ahead. No, I just, I, I think, I think if you have the time and you're willing to put in the effort, this is the way that I would prefer to run cameras. I would do this if I had the, if I had the time.
1: Yeah. And, and, I'd probably agree, but so you recently did a TikTok about mature bucks, not leaving their bed whenever you're walking through an area, correct? Yep. And, and maybe here in a second, you can give the listeners like a little brief rundown of that, but, and maybe we might disagree on this, but I personally don't think that like you're doing that big of a disservice to yourself, at least during like, like the midsummer months when you scout, like, I don't think you're going to ruin an area by walking through you know even if it's once a month like like we were doing uh the last couple years i don't think you're going to ruin an area or push a mature buck out do you you agree or disagree
0: i tend to agree that that's the case kind of like peyton said earlier i think they know when you're (laughs) in there scouting and when you're in there hunting and that kind of sounds weird to say because it's like okay it's a stupid animal that like just drinks water, eats and has sex. Like that's all it does. It's the entire existence, but it's also a survivor. So it understands those sort of things. And mm-hmm. I, I think to an extent, yeah, would I want to go in there and check them every single weekend? No. Do I feel very comfortable walking through a place and being loud and kind of obnoxious once a month? I do. I do. And I think it proves like the buck that you shot in 2020, we were all over that guy. Like we went everywhere he was and he still
1: used those areas well you you shot a buck the same exact tree that we blood trailed and then I and then Carol was hunting over there as well you know he shot at one made some deer blow and then he walked underneath me shot and like from where you shot that that what was it a seven point it was a nine a nine point where you shot he he ran the completely different direction and we blood trailed all that and then my buck it ran the complete other direction that yours ran. And we blood trailed all that, and still yet, and you know the scent was everywhere. Our scent. Yeah, we had that place riled so, up. Granted, it was during the rut, or I guess down there it would be like, what would you classify that the pre-rut? Yeah, pre-rut. So that might have had him going, but I just don't think it affects him as much now. Now, granted, I don't, I don't want him to know I'm I'm there. So I mean, take that in consideration.
0: Yeah, I would say if you're hunting like a. For us, like we hunt fairly aggressively, and I'm completely like I'm of the mind. I'm all right scaring a, a deer to find one, yeah. right? Some people are not. And if you were hunting like a world class deer, you know, if you're hunting like a, a 180 plus or something like that, would I recommend going in there if you know he's in there for sure doing that all the time? No, but if you're looking for a deer like that, absolutely. Like that's a searching mode for us when we're we're going in there and checking and read and resetting and all that stuff. We're just searching. Like we're blindly throwing a net, looking for things, trying to snag something on the bottom, you know, whereas if you already know it's there, it's completely different. You have to play those scenarios different. So um, on public though, go ultra aggressive. Like I'm, I'm why not you scare one. There's another one.
1: So, I want to say this point and it might be a little bit off topic where it would be better towards the end of the podcast to kind of wrap it up. But I'm going to say this now cause I will forget and I don't know what made me think of it, but never leave a camera in your truck when, you know, it like, kind of like you say all the time, it's, it's never, that camera's never going to do you any good at home when it can be out there soaking, giving up information. You know how, well, we've seen kind of the biggest deer that we've ever got on camera by just the Hell Mary cameras where we already checked out all the spots we wanted to check out. Some produced, some didn't. And then we were just like, Hey, we have like four to six cameras left and it's Sunday. We're about to head home. We don't want to go home with them. Mm-hmm. Well, we found a lot of great bucks just from those ones that, that we're like, Hey, let's just ditch off the road right here. Like 200 yards, if that, and just throw them out for craps and giggles. And those ended up being the ones that, seemingly produce the best during the summertime at least.
0: And don't be afraid to set them up a hundred yards apart, you know, like even if you're setting your cameras up, like say you got two or three cameras and most people might not run into this issue because they might not have as many trail cams as us. But if you do have extra cameras, I'd rather set them up 25 yards apart than set them up in my closet
2: Mm -hmm. at home.
0: Like, or I'd rather set them up on the road where people are driving than have them in my closet at home because they're they can give you you're looking for most recent information, and if you're not getting that information, and the camera's just sitting at home, it's it's a waste. It's a complete yeah. waste, waste of your money and waste of your time. Yeah. So that's kind of how I just feel I feel about it. Anything else on set and reset? I feel like we covered that one quite a bit. I'm good. Cool. So the second one. Carol, I think this is going to be your favorite strategy. You're going to (laughs) want to do this one every year. The second trail cam strategy that we have for you guys that we do on public land, I call it set and soak, parentheses plan the long game. This is best for people that either are, for us, the reason that we're doing this this year is because we're hunting a lot of different spots. Jake's got a spot in northeast Oklahoma. Peyton and I got one in southwest Oklahoma. On our lease, we're hunting other parts of Oklahoma on public... And then we're hunting Kansas, so we've got a lot of different areas. So we don't have time to do the set and reset on every single one of these places. Um, but what do you what do you think about that strategy, Pete? Do you like setting them out and coming back and checking them one time when you're going to hunt?
2: Um, I mean, yeah, I I probably would do that over the the set and reset. Um, if you're, like you said, we're pretty aggressive. So the set and resets what we've done in the past, but we don't, I mean, like you said, we're running into stuff, marriage, stuff like that, where we just, we don't have time for that.
1: You're having a kid. Congratulations.
2: <laughs> not, not that I know of, <laughs> uh, unless you got news that I got that I don't have, but, uh, we'll see about that. But yeah, I, I would say the set and soak would be, would be my route. It, it really just depends too on public land you really need to set and reset because you have to go find those deer. You've got no, you've got no food. You've got, there's really nothing that is bringing those deer in and keeping them there. So you have to find them. Now it's all going to change October 1st. It's, it's going to change. That's what we run into. That's what I ran into is they were there for three months and there were a ton of them big. I mean, one fifties, one sixties in there, but when october 1st they weren't so I, I should have been more aggressive but you know and it might be different in each state and maybe in kansas it's different the set and soak those deer might take the they might take the same pattern they might take the same route each day we'll just uh this is a trial and error kind of thing but yeah the set and soak in oklahoma public i probably wouldn't set and soak you know all summer i would set it out maybe like a few weeks you want to stay out of there, obviously close to October 1st, but maybe set it two, three weeks before, then set and soak, come in maybe, you know, October 15th, October 31st, but I wouldn't set and soak just all summer. I mean, it's not going to do you any good. What if the deer aren't there? You've wasted all that time. You know, you got to be aggressive on public land, I think.
0: Jake, we talked about, um, we talked about it a little bit. It's a lot easier to set and soak if you have hunted the property before. 100%. If you, if you have places in your back pocket that you're like, hey, if these cameras don't work out, I have a place I can go to hunt that I know could possibly produce.
1: Yeah, well, so I think the way you, I don't know how I want to word this. So if you want to cast a broad net, and I guess you could do it with the set and soak method too, but on the repeated checks, I already forgot what what you called it. The uh, set and reset. Set and reset method, yeah. Uh, If you do that, like kind of like you just said, it's to find as many spots as possible the fastest. Like if you're really just trying to put all your eggs in one basket. Well, for this, I feel like it's easier knowing, kind of like what you just said, it's easier knowing, like letting those soak, don't check them as much when you have those spots because like if you hang it, And you're going to let it soak you just have those spots unless unless you go put boots on the ground elsewhere without hanging a camera which is important it could be important but it's not nearly as rewarding that's just kind of what you're running into i mean because you would be getting better intel on those spots so let's say you have a spot that you hunted the last two years or something like that if you just let it sit and soak i think that would be the best way because then you could see like okay when exactly are these deer or are are these bucks using this piece right here is it during just the pre-rut and then when the rutting action gets super heavy and they're like locked down on the on the does are they do like are are they just nowhere near this spot does it heat up late season like late december early january or something like that and like i feel like that's when you could use the sit and soak extremely well it's just kind of building up that that data throughout the years and so like then here in two or three years we could go and be like okay i want to hunt this spot at this time and i'm going to save this spot i'm not even going to go in there because a i don't want to mess it up b i don't want to park here and then have twiddle d and twiddle dumb realize i park here and so they go into it and mess that spot up as well uh so you know if you know bucks aren't going to be in that area at that time save it leave it and then hunt it when it's right and that's i feel it would be like the best pro for the set and soak strategy.
2: Yeah, I, I can agree with that. It's the, the set and soak is not something you would do first year in a new spot, maybe year two, three.
1: Now for public land, like if you're hunting out of state, kind of like what we did with Kansas this year, I think that's the best method, right? Because like, you're not going to have the time to go up there. So you're just going to have to basically do it. I mean, home it's, the <laughs> it's the only method. It's the only method you could do. Unless unless you have, I mean, I guess more money than all of us combined and you want to pay for this Biden gas. Sure. I mean, do the do the hang and bang method. So
0: but I, I do have an opinion. Not only do I not want to drive to Kansas and do it because of the gas and the time it's going to take. I think a, a agricultural place like Kansas, like big ag and a lot of the stuff in the Midwest is stuff I feel 10 times more comfortable set and soaking than the stuff that we hunt in Oklahoma. Because if you're hunting mountainous territory, it feels like you have to learn, you have to get more specific knowledge to be able to find a buck. But in Kansas, it's like, okay, there's a cornfield here, there's a cornfield here, there's one row of trees here. Let's take a guess. A you know easy.
2: where?
1: Yeah,
0: where are they going to be? The
1: sign is a lot
0: more defined, and we the noticed s- that right off the bat. The dude, remember when we walked in the spot where you guys put both of your pins for our one pin challenge? We were like, there's a highway that's 500 like- yards long yeah." in here. Is there a deer going to be on here? I wonder. There's not cattle in here. So, you know what I mean? It's a lot easier in those sort of areas, I feel like, to set and soak. Now, you might get there November 1st on your vacation and say, oh, there's not a single deer in here on this that's using this trail that I want to shoot. Well, if you didn't check your cameras beforehand, that's too dang bad. Now, you better go be a woodsman and find a better spot. But I feel like you can do that on places that it's easily defined, and, and be and be successful. We're gonna test this theory, but
1: I I have I have a lot of confidence about that. Yeah, I do as well. But the thing is, is like what what helps on doing that strategy at places like that is it's. I mean, and I guess you kind of touched on it a little bit is when it goes to being a woodsman. It's not very hard to be. Okay, I don't want to catch flack for this, but I don't, I don't think it's as hard to be a woodsman in a place like Kansas than. A mountainous area and i'm not i'm not saying that any i'm not trying to dig at anybody but kind of like we discussed at one point we covered a lot more ground and scouted a lot more ground in kansas in one day than we did in a whole weekend uh in oklahoma where we hunt mm-hmm. and it's just like it'd be a lot easier to set up an observation stand you know kind of put yourself in the game so maybe one walks by but you're really just basically scouting during the season and you're just like okay I seen across the field. There's a couple deer over there where they come in at, and then maybe the next day after the morning set, where you can actually see, wander out through there. Okay, you found the trail that to come in at. If you don't want to hunt the field edge, go a little bit deeper. Follow that trail, see what's back there. Get on on X. Are they bedding back there? Is there is there maybe a little opening that has like like some some you know a little acorn flat or something like that, and then. Kind of like you said, just be a woodsman. But I feel like it's a lot easier to do that there than it is in Oklahoma. I mean, that's just my opinion. I mean, in any- where
0: we hunt in Oklahoma, people might hunt in the western part of the state and be like, "Yeah, you guys are full of crap, man. You can see yeah. everything out here,
1: Sandy Sanders or something like that."
0: It, yeah, exactly. They're on a mountain. They're like seeing for a mile. I I agree with you though. I I think I think it's a lot easier. And we talked about it in the the map scouting video or uh, podcast that we did how it's a lot easier to map scout a place where you can like X off large swaths at a time down where we hunt. We're like, this could be great. This could be great. This could be great. You know, there's 10,000 pieces. Whereas you get into those Kansas and the ag land, it's like, there's only so many good spots. I can't hunt in the middle of the field. Yeah. Yeah, There might be
2: 10,000 acres here, but 700 of it is huntable. Right. With the, with the bow. And I mean, it's just also managed different too. I mean, Kansas is obviously it's better managed than Oklahoma. I mean, it's it's tough to get in. I mean, it's they just they have a good management plan there, a lot better than Oklahoma's. But yeah, I, I agree with Jake. I'm not saying that I'm not saying that it's easy to hunt Kansas, but it's definitely for, it's at least where we went. It's going to be a lot easier to pinpoint where deer are. They're going to be there if if there are deer. This is where they have to be. If they're not out in the middle of the field, this is where they have to be. You know, where we hunt here in Oklahoma, it's like, well, we have a few thousand acres, all of it's huntable. Every this single deer, piece of it. Every single piece of it is huntable. We there are don't all know where trees are. everywhere. You can't see more than 30 yards. There could be 160 inch deer, 50 yards away from me. and I wouldn't know, you know, you can't see. So
1: that's the thing. Uh, a lot of people ask like, well how do you play the wind out there and just like you don't literally if you want it if you're hunting a spot and you look at your little on X and it says the wind's blowing like southeast or something like that it could be blowing southeast when you get out of the truck but when you get through those little ridges and you set up it could be blowing countless different ways at least from what i've experienced and it's just like okay what do you do well you just shimmy your climber around the tree and then look the other way (laughs) i mean
0: (laughs) that's what you do Mm -hmm. I've been up in the uh, I've been up in a tree in the community center and got back to camp and people were like, dang, dude, I about got blue out of the tree today. It was so windy. And I'm like, it wasn't windy at all. And they're like, what do you mean? And I'm like, I guess I'm in a bowl. I'm down at a bottom. But I was like, dude, I I didn't feel a single piece of wind today. And everyone else is like, dude, I about threw up. I was like, felt like I was on a roller coaster. I'm like, oh, it seems like each different little spot is like its own little environment that has different wind directions, different swirls. All that sort of stuff, less predictable.
1: They just about threw up in the tree because they had too many bush apples the night before. <laughs> those
0: those lunch bush apples are deadly. So I think we talked a good amount about set and reset. That's that's strategy number one. Strategy number two, we just talked about set and soak. That's playing the long game and not going in and pressure in your areas. So the last thing I want to say about that is. One more thing you can do when you're thinking about set and soak is you can go in and if you have a spot that is really hard to access and very deep into public and you know other people aren't probably not going to be willing to access it, you can go in there, set a camera one time and not pressure it. And I think that's another, that's another pro. Like, I'm not going to walk a mile and a half back in there and, you know only go in there to hunt it. One issue too, Carol is when you drop the camera off, you have to go get it. Think about that when you're setting your trail cams up. <laughs>
2: I do. I don't have I uh, I don't have my own trail cameras for that reason, because I mean, when we, when we hunt public, it's, I don't know where I'm going to hunt. I mean, no spot. I don't think any spots better than the other, you know, some days you go out there and you see a lot of deer. And sometimes you go out there and we've went two weeks where we didn't see a deer. You know, it just, it just depends. I, 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 truthfully don't think that one spot is just as a overall better than another. You just gotta, you just have to be at the right spot at the right time.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're only going to get one opportunity.
2: Yeah. Most that's likely. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so last thing I want to talk about before we get into some of the Q and a is where to hang your trail cameras, whether it's the summer or, well, let's talk about summer because that's where, when we do most of our trail camera hanging. If you had to pick one spot, what would you, where would you pick to hang your trail cameras, Jake? One terrain feature, whether it's a funnel, an edge, a bottom, creek crossing, what would you pick?
1: Uh, where we normally hunt in Oklahoma? Yes. I would say I'm a big water guy. I, I love water. So I would say maybe like try to find a little crossing in in like the creek or something like that. That's what I would try to do. Or like, yeah, just somewhere around water.
0: What do you got, Pate? What would you, if you only got to pick one?
2: Uh, I would probably do. I probably do a funnel when it comes down to it. I mean they're they're going to end up there at some point. Mm. Okay, so I'm gonna.
0: Nope, no changing.
1: If, if we're doing ending. it that way, I want to say a bench. A bench around water. That's where. That's where I'm going.
0: Okay, that was two, but that's fine. <laughs> I'm I just gonna do a hard edge next to a creek funnel crossing by water that has deer. That has deer, dude. I'm gonna, I'm going to take a really easy answer on this one. If we're talking about the summer, my favorite place to hang a trail camera is the road.
1: Mm-hmm. I knew, I knew as soon as you that's said that's my that.
0: favorite place to hang a trail camera. And people might say, "Oh, that's stupid." You know, I'm not talking about the road you drive on. I'm talking about roads that people access the WMA so on.
1: This wouldn't be one you. Set and soak. This would be one you reset. Reset. Yeah, if
0: I'm resetting, I would love to hang one on the road because in on the road, those deer always take the path of least resistance mm-hmm. when they're when they're unpressured. And so that in a lot, a lot of these WMAs, the they have to have roads that are back in to the WMA so they can access it and work on it and burn and all those. It's also fire breaks is one of the reasons they have all those roads, but. Um, there are roads that you can't drive on as part of the public. And I feel like that's where you get your best summer pictures. Like bucks are just chilling, hanging out, walking down. them, and you can get a ton of good pictures. Is it going to help you with specific knowledge? No, but if you want pictures to look at, that's, that's where I would put my camera. Give you some great inventory. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So, but just to list a few off, and this is going to be so specific to your area. It's not going to do us any good to say you should always set your cameras here a few of the places you can set cameras by water funnels, a hard edge. So anywhere where maybe grass meets timber or two terrain features come together, roads, bottoms, Creek crossings, and obviously trails. If you got trails, you can do there too. Any other ones that we missed?
1: So no, but what I would say though, is I guess then it all depends on where you hunt. Kind of like Carol says, Come October 1st, you can do all the scouting you want, hang all the trail cameras, get whatever pictures you you want in the summer, because obviously trail cameras pictures are easier to come by in the summer. Come October 1st, especially if it's a, a even slightly pressured piece of public, those deer are gonna know, kind of like he said, whether they have an alarm clock in their in their in their dome or whatever it is, they're gonna know. So if you unless you just have a, a picture of that buck every single at least like three times a week or something like that, then I'd say you're not close enough. And especially, I don't know. How would y'all go about that? Because I feel like I'm, con- I'm going to contradict myself here in a second, but in that, in that sit and soak strategy, would you still try to put all the cameras in one spot knowing that? Or would you, or not, not the sit and soak. They're like, they're like hanging bang, hanging reset. Would you, Hmm. I don't, I'm i running into a crossroad here because my thinking is is the, the road theory, like you were saying, you put it on there. Well, we know now that they're not going to be on the road October 1st, right? Yes. Listen, y'all are laughing. I no, f- I
0: wrote something in the chat. <laughs> <I> said yee-yee.
1: <laughs> okay, never mind. No, go we're, ahead. Continue. I'll let y'all finish up. No, continue. No, no, no. Cause I'm trying to make a point that could help someone actually learn. And y'all are just twiddling it away. No, Carol I... is absolutely cracking up right now, but
0: it's, that's fine. why I wrote it is cause he saw, I saw him start smiling.
1: <laughs> I know what, what I'm trying to say is you want to hang them on the road, but that's not where you're going to find them. So yeah, like, what, what would be that good strategy? You know? I mean, hanging them on- up. If you move on? What would be your second step if you hung it on a road? It's it's a loaded question. What would be your second step that you would do after you got trail cam pictures on the road? And you have to know that they're not going to be on that road come October or November th- when it comes back.
2: I think that you hang them on the road just to see. I mean, you know, hey, this is my best possibility. If there are deer in here, they're going to be here in the summer. I think it's just to set yourself up for that year two and three when you you know, you know can hang them in and hold on, see what you really have in there. I think hanging them on the road for the first year is just to see, hey, are there deer in here? No, I don't see any here. Let's try a different spot. There might be. They might just have not cross. but that's just, you know, it's trail cameras. Like you said, it doesn't paint the whole picture. You don't have any on that road that they're most likely using in the summer every day. Try somewhere else. You know, if you have different bucks, then you go all your all eggs in one basket, set a few in there, get some more information. That's how I would do it at least. But I would,
0: I would say if I uh, had a bunch of really good pictures on the road, the first thing that I would look for after that would be a bedding area or some really good terrain features that I could hunt off that would be really close to that road. So where we hunt, there's like fingers and bottoms and, you know, there's obvious terrain features where you could cut a buck off like that, but what I want to know is now I know where he's traveling on the road. Where is he betting? Where is he living? And that's my, that's what I'm wondering at that point. Yee-yee. Thank you, Jay, for returning the favor. This is an AB
1: conversation. I'm seeing my way out of it now. So <laughs> good one. How
0: trail cameras don't paint the whole picture. Touch on that for just a second before we move on to our last piece of advice, Jake, take it away. Carol. You Yeah. You have a good, you have a good perspective on this.
2: I mean, it's, it's a loaded question. I mean, for example, where we hunted, you know, that seven point that came in, we thought, well, he might be only, you know, he might only come in once every three or four days, but it turns out when I was hunting and I I had my shot at him, it looked like he used that path all the time. He just walked on the other side of the tree, you know, that trail cam, you're only getting not even you're getting 25 percent vision you know one you have a, yeah you get you literally get one direction um out of it so that's that's one of the reasons i don't like trail cameras i am very especially when we go on public land and we set them up i sit there and have to think about it for 30 minutes when i when i do find the right tree which direction you know which direction and i get home and i think what if that deer comes through there every day, but he walks on the other side of the tree, you know, or does he? So it makes me think too much. That's personally why I don't, I'm not too big of a fan of trail cameras myself. And it's for that reason. I feel
1: like it's equivalent to like setting up your stand in the morning. You know what I mean?
2: Oh, I'm the worst about it. I get in there. I'm like, this is the spot. Now, which tree? Because I have to pick either left or right. They're going to walk down this ridge if they come down it. But do I want, you know, left or right? Which way do I want to go? And then I get up in the tree and I'm thinking, man, I really hope they don't go that other way. <laughs> I'm so bad about that. I am awful about it.
1: So friendly tip as well. Uh, Christian, you could probably elaborate very well on this. Make sure there's no hanging branches or hanging spider webs with a little uh, pine needle attached. Especially, your camera. Very good spot.
0: Yeah, you'll wait. You'll waste all your batteries and your time going to check it, and you'll get twelve hundred pictures of a spider making eloquent web. It's, <laughs> it's it pisses me off to look at pictures like that, Carol. On the lease the other day, a spider started to do a web, and then a doe came up to the camera and like licked the camera with her mouth and like got the web off. And I was like,
2: yeah. <laughs> it, I I, I actually sad. screenshotted that photo of the doe's like. Like, all you can see is her eyes like, right there. Yeah, I thought it was hilarious, so I had to screenshot it.
0: Last piece of advice for people that are running trail cams on public. Pick a cheap camera. Gosh dang, I cannot reiterate this enough. We have used the wild game Terra 8s, Terra 10s, and Terra 12s, just depending on what's sa- what's on sale at Wally's. Yeah. But Carol bought a I camera the other day. So. We got some what?
1: Terra 8s, is that what you said?
0: Yeah, 8s, 10s, 12s and carol bought a camera the other day for the lease a task cam i think it was it was like 29 dollars at walmart i wouldn't i've heard good things about those too. i would not be opposed to running something like that but on camera or on public i am be willing to lose your cameras if you're willing to put them out be willing to lose them
1: yeah that's the thing i mean you can buy an expensive camera but sooner or later it's going to be someone else's expensive camera
0: it's like when you walk into the casino, you better walk in with what you're willing to lose or you're going to walk out with nothing. Uh... <laughs> Carol's yeah.
2: Unless there's an ATM. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, another tip just for me personally is don't live or die by the trail camera.
1: Oh, that's a good one.
2: Don't live or die by it. I mean, it putting in It'll the tell work you going in and, and, and going out and scouting is one thing, but just don't put all your eggs in the trail cameras.
0: I agree. Jake, you got any closing remarks for people? All right. Okay, so we're going to get into Q&A, but we're, first we're going to read a beautiful email from mm. one of our listeners. Uh, this comes from Alan McDonald. We do not know Alan, but he reached out to us via email, and his subject line was Oklahoma WMA. And Alan says, Big fan, enjoy your podcast. I live up in Weatherford, Texas. I'm planning a public hunting trip to Oklahoma. I'm looking at XYZ WMA. We can't tell you which one out of respect for Alan. And he said, I'm planning my first scouting trip in August. Question is impossible. Question. Is it impossible to get away from other hunters? I'm mainly archery hunting. Thanks in advance. Alan construction manager. That's he he emailed us from his work email, which mad respect Alan.
1: So you want to take this one?
0: It, do I think he's able to get away from people?
2: Yes. How no. far are
0: you willing to walk?
2: No, <laughs> you can't, because think about it like this: you might <laughs> you're walking halfway into the woods, but eventually you're walking halfway out. So,
0: Kira has a very pessimistic attitude. He got walked up on last year.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I didn't get walked up on. I've camped around last year. <laughs> um, uh, that's good. Enough. I think that yes you could probably get away from people but i think the main tip i would have is confidence i mean it doesn't matter I, i've had more confidence 30 yards off the road by seeing stuff than i have being a mile and a half back there i mean it's like i would just say you know pick a spot that you're confident in you don't necessarily you don't have to avoid people i mean it's better if you don't but at the same time i mean as long as they're if they're more than I would say two, three hundred yards away from you, you're gonna run into people on in public. It's gonna happen. I will. Uh,
1: he's an attestator and he asked this question because most attestators we ran into, they'll just follow you in. Uh, they see a truck. Oh, that's where I'm hunting too. So kudos to you,
2: Alan. I uh, yeah, yeah. I got I got followed that one year when we were hunting down there. Back was Idaho. I, yeah, man, I was Jake out our spot. It's your it's, spot that you let me hunt I'm not gonna in when exactly, but out.
1: It's around a mile.
2: A mile back there, and there are 10 people and thousands and thousands of acres, and I had somebody 60 yards, 70 yards away from me. Now, I got followed in. There's no doubt that he didn't just follow me in. But at the same time, I don't think you're going to get away, necessarily away from people, because you're going to be close to – I think you're going to be close to somebody if there's that many people out there. It also depends what weekend, you know.
0: So a- I'm going to put it in perspective, though. I'm going to type where he's hunting in the chat, and this might change your opinion, Carol. Okay. I'm not going to say it, but that's where he's hunting. Gotcha. I, do you, now, would that change your answer based on where he, uh, if he could get away from people?
2: Good luck walking, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> I so, think you're
0: gonna be able to get away from people, but just find a spot you like. Don't worry that much about that. Like, you're gonna get if you get walked up on, you get freaking walked up on. It
2: happens. Yeah, so, you can't. You can't worry about stuff like that either. I mean, you can't. I. I don't. I try not to take that into factor now. Of I'm just gonna find a spot that I like, and if it happens, hey, move forward. You, you got more hunts. Don't go back. You know. But
1: this is actually a pretty good tip, and one that i've learned from somebody who hunts that wma religiously uh so down there you have driving access you you can use your atvs you can use your buggies whatever you want you can take down there and he's not necessarily a local but what he does he drives the roads until he sees what looks like a trail going into the thick stuff like some like thick pines and then he follows a trail in 50 to a hundred yards until he sees like some pretty good sign. And he said that and that's just what he does. And he sets up and hunts. And he, most of the time he sees deer, it puts you on a good area. And if it's only a hundred yards off the road, you know, it, he said any more than that, if there's not like great sign because of, of how vast that land is, uh, he knows pretty quickly whether he's in a, a good spot or not. Like there ain't no point for him at least because he can go, uh, like two, two 300 yards more down the road and only be a hundred yards from his buggy. If he ends up shooting one, that's just what he does. He goes in till he find a trail zips in there, 50 to a hundred yards. sees sees if he can find sign. And then if so, he sets up. That's just what he does. Uh, there's a lot of land to play with down there. So I don't think you need to get like too terribly far.
0: You don't and have more, th- have a few spots get, get you get your four or five spots down there and you should be you should be money you got that many spots you're not gonna get walked up on more than once
2: yeah that, that there's a lot of land at, at least in <laughs> that section but you'll I be guess, all right uh, yeah i feel you're bad. gonna people well, there you just good luck <laughs> good luck walking through it you're gonna have fun though yeah it, it's gonna pay off
0: all right jake you ready to move into q a let's
1: do it all right what do we got Oh, you want me to start it? Okay, this is from Vintage If I hope I said that right. Uh, Traveling recommendations for outings. I'm going to Kansas from New York, and I'm not sure if flying or driving makes more sense.
0: So we did do research before the podcast on how far Kansas is from New York, and I got 19 and a half hours. So (laughs) if you have a lot of money, you drive and get you a rental truck. If you do not have, I prefer to have my own vehicle when I'm hunting anywhere. I just feel comfortable in it. We've slept in my car a lot of times. I I just feel I've maintained it. I know how it is. I prefer to drive anywhere. If I had a long period of time, like seven plus days to hunt, I would prefer to drive. That would just be
1: my. So also you're hunting Kansas. And so depending on the weather, like it could rain a lot. Could be cold. Yeah, the roads could be bad but then again you're in flat territory it's not like you got to go up a huge hill or something like that so even if you take like a, a little car like let's say you have like a little dodge neon or, or whatever it is gets gets great gas mileage uh, you might be a little cramped if you decide to not pitch a tent or something like that if you want if you want to sleep in the back seat it's not the worst thing roll down one window kick your feet out one window whatever <laughs> i would i would much personally drive a car from new york to kansas especially if i know i'm not really going to be needing like a four-wheel drive thing depending on where you hunt i don't know could be different
0: and when you're hunting i ain't driving my car to kansas in december
2: oh (laughs) yeah Yeah, (laughs) you're not
1: no the problems there
0: yeah i think i think you should be good i would prefer to drive man i don't know i've fell in love with that let me take that back i don't mind driving now i do not mind driving because of how much i've had to drive to hunt since moving to texas but I always prefer to have my own vehicle. So that's just, that'd be my opinion. Okay. Question number two comes from outdoor.person.26. He says, scent cover techniques. Do you guys use scent cover techniques?
2: <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> Listen, if you're downwind, they're they're downwind, they're downwind. I mean, it doesn't matter... Man, there, there's just no getting away from it. If they're downwind, you're gonna get busted, especially with the doe. It's not guaranteed. I mean, sometimes you get lucky, right? But trust me, I've been on plenty of hunts where I've been 150 yards away, didn't come in from that way, and that doe's looking right at me and blowing. If you're just downwind, you're downwind. If you know, if you're not, you're probably gonna be okay. I don't care too much about a scent because there's there's really not a lot you can do. You can spray it on do whatever you can wear whatever you can wear two thousand dollar you know scent free clothes but if you start sweating you go in there they're going to smell you from a mile away
1: That's exactly what i was going to say it's
2: just it is what it is they're they're just insanely smart creatures and their one goal in life is to survive and they're good at it <laughs> they can smell you from a mile away yeah
0: i think playing the wind is the only thing you can do in that situation yeah. I If mean, you know where they're coming from play the wind
2: yeah and if you don't hey shimmy up a tree get some confidence and hope for the best. Like Jake said, turn that stand around the other way.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, there was a, we made a TikTok about it. There was some research that there's like a hundred different odor particles in human scent, like that comes off your skin and Sentaway away covers. Like I think 20 something of them. My question is where the frick, what about Mm -hmm. the other 80?
1: You know what I mean? What? It's not important. Yeah, right. Exactly. It's not good for marketing. So at least don't discuss it. (laughs) <laughs> exactly.
0: So, you can wear it. I quit wearing it because honestly, I just I forgot and I I kind of got in the same mindset as Peyton. I'm like, well, if they're down, one, it's not going to matter. So, why waste 10 more dollars? Yeah. Sweat. I mean, it's not
2: going to hurt. Why not try it? Hey, it if it gives hurt. you confidence, if it gives you confidence, go for it. You know, that's that's up to you. Whatever you want to do. If it gives you confidence and you think it's going to help you, why not? But
0: well, when I was growing up, hunting, I mean, though, like I knew before I knew how to play the wind, I would go out there and spray down with scent control. when I got blown at him, like, ah, what's wrong with this? You know, I was like, how I'm shooting at her again? just because
2: she's smart. I got to get her out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She might be 120 <laughs> yards away, but this will get her out of the area. <laughs> yeah. yeah,
1: exactly. All right. So this is from Grandma's Boy 82. How far will big bucks travel to a mineral block in the summer? slash preseason. How big of a range do mature bucks live in pre-rut? So the first question was, how how far will big bucks travel to a mineral block in the summer slash preseason?
0: How can you quantify that?
2: I I don't think there's a good answer, especially from public to private. I mean, if you're talking public, there's just, there's no telling. I mean... We know that mature bucks (laughs) don't move
0: very much. Why would you move in the summer?
1: Now we set out a few mineral block bleh, mineral blocks in the season of 2020 and it did help draw in more deer to that area just for the pictures but the thing was is we set it out like sometime in the summer probably late summer but by our november vacation that mineral block part of it was still there so like they'll probably come check it out but after a while it's just like i don't think mineral block is will, like make or break you it might be better for inventory. You might get a few more yeah. pictures. For the most part, I don't think it's worth the energy of you carrying it in. You
0: know, unless you're on private, right? And yeah. you're just trying to do more. more. Yeah, and
2: then why even use a mineral block if you're on, you know. Yeah, if you're already feeding moment. Moment. Yeah. corn. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, so I don't the think there's any way to tell on All how right. far they would travel.
2: So the next question,
1: how big of a range do mature bucks live in pre-rut?
2: <laughs> Man, Bigger that's than their the, summer range. Yeah, Pre rut miles, I can, I know that for sure. I mean,
0: well, that's one of, that's why the pre ruts my favorite time to hunt is because those bucks are expanding their range, they're starting to fight for territory, they're starting to the testosterone levels are rising, so they're looking for that first doe that's coming in estrus and they're anxious about it, so they're looking, they're expanding their range, yeah,
1: especially the, those mature bucks who's been through the ringer a couple times, just like, hey, I know about this time when you know. I smell the first doe coming to heat. It's just like there there has to be more. So they're automatically trying to get the jump on the littler bucks. They don't have, I, I think, not as much experience. And so they're just out roaming, doing what big bucks do, I guess, during the pre-rut.
2: And the special thing about the pre-rut, too, is you can stop them.
1: Yeah.
0: Exactly.
2: You can stop. I mean, that's, that's just the special thing is, you know, with the rut, you get pre-rut, you get almost as much movement, maybe not quite as much, but you can't stop them in the rut. You can yell, and they'll – you can hit them on. with a
0: stick, and if you don't yeah. knock them down, they're like, <laughs> yeah. keep going, boys. Yeah.
1: Plus, I think they're harder to see. I mean, obviously, like, if they're locked down on the doe, if the doe doesn't come by you, they're not going to come come to you, right? So, oh, like, yeah,
0: they care less.
1: So, I mean, and plus, if a doe's locked down, more than likely, those bucks are probably going to try to chase and exhaust the doe where – it's like away from all the other deer, right? Because they they don't, they don't want to have to compete. Like if they already have a doe secured and just waiting on, on like, like, Oh, they call that like the standing estrus or whatever, when the doe's like ready to mate, because if they're like chasing, they could be chasing for, you know, maybe a day or so, I think, and waiting on it to come in like, like, like the standing estrus where they're ready to mate. But for the most part, they're trying to lock them down. They're trying to like better up where they don't have to compete. So you're not going to catch them on their feet near as much
0: yeah to answer his question how big of a range do a mature buck have in the pre-rut it's i think it's pretty big depending on your property and how the pressure lays out what we're talking about public here i think it gets pretty big when there's no food when there's nothing like that involved and all they're focused on is getting some i think it it could be miles
2: yeah, I have a lot of confidence. I mean, when pre-rut comes around that first week in November where we where we hunt around, I know that hey, any spot can be just as good as the other. It's just they come running by. And this is this is the time of the year that they will. If they're going to, this is the time. Well, yeah. that's why we hunt that piece of public at that at time. At
1: that time. Yeah. It, it is the pre rut down there. Yep. Yep. So
0: last question comes from Nick V 77 He said, what broadheads are y'all shooting and what saddles will y'all be going with? Love the podcast. Thank you for the comment, Nick. That was really nice of you. What do y'all got? We got broadheads and saddles. What are you guys running this year?
2: Oh man. I don't even remember they rage. Uh, you were used to run them rage, uh, hyperdermics. And cruiser saddle. Now, I ran a climbing stand, but it's time to run that thing over and get rid of it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It'd be good tire chalk, I guess, huh?
0: (laughs) Yeah, Jake, what do you got? You
2: as saddle goes, the, the
1: old tree diapers still to be determined. I haven't bought one yet, but I'm leaning more towards the cruiser saddles. I think that's what you have, and Carol has correct. Yep, so that's probably what I'm more leaning towards, and then like last year i shot shoot 2020 i probably shot like just some regular fixed blade allen broadheads from walmart 2021 i started using the grim reaper whitetail specials and those worked wonders but i'm definitely going to have those in my back pocket so and more than likely that it's going to be the first up to bat but i think we're really kind of what are you laughing at now (laughs)
2: Oh, uh, Jake's quiver was called the miscellaneous. miscellaneous.
1: <laughs> Listen, we we already talked. <laughs> like a couple
0: of you never know what? what you're gonna get.
2: Yeah, he just grabs an arrow and he's like, "Oh, well, this is the fixed blade. I'll have to aim down and right two foot." Talk
1: all you want, but I killed I killed that big buck with an Allen broadhead and a Walmart arrow. So, and a bow that was falling apart. You were, yeah. dude, in shambles. But baby, I you know. Got Go through. <laughs> That's right. That's what I'm talking about. That's what are you, you saying? Though some of that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> what Broadhead? Are you trying this yeah, year? So probably first step to bat for a buck. Let's say a buck runs out. First deer comes out. I'm probably going to reach for the Whitetail specials just because I've, I have history. I've tested them out. They're solid. But uh, more than likely, the first couple doe I shoot might try out the thorn broadheads. Just, just test. I've heard good things about them, and uh, we'll see.
0: Yeah, those the thorns look pretty cool. I think, I think I, I'm excited to hunt in September and October to try those out. Like we always like to test broadheads on those, right? Because there's no, not that it's high state, not that it's not high stakes, and I don't care right. about not killing one. I obviously always want to kill one to be ethical, but um, I think I think we'll I'll probably try the the thorn broadheads as well, but. I've always, it seems like every year I switch broadheads. I don't know why. I've ran, I think I counted at one time. It was like over 10 different ones.
1: best bang for your buck, right? Do what? You're just trying to get the best bang for your buck. Yeah, exactly.
0: Um, But I'll probably try some Swackers again. Use some Swackers and then some Thorn. Try those. And then hopefully in the early season after shooting a few does, I'll have a a really good answer for that question. Um, But other than that, Saddles. I'm running the Cruiser XC. um, Saddle... This year I ran that last year and I will run the out on a limb podium platform and I might, might end up getting the Ridge runner two platform. That one looks pretty awesome too. But, um, is it bigger? No, it's not bigger, but I think it's easier to seat to the tree and it's got a, instead of just being a one solid platform, it kind of has like an arm, like a tree stand would and it attaches like that. So it has two places to bite into the tree instead of one. I gotcha. Yeah. So
1: hey, who makes that
0: out on a limb, yep. Matt Garrison and Chase, they, they make that. So uh, that's what we're running this year. And guys on TikTok, keep keep, uh, keep the questions coming. We love doing the Q and a segments. One of the more fun we talked about maybe doing a whole podcast, just Q and a, if we get enough questions.
1: Yeah, that would, that would be really fun.
0: Yeah. So like I said, we continued our, our public land, one one mini series talking trail cams this time next week uh we will talk be talking about the actual hunt how to conduct it on public land so um thanks for listening to the episode i think that's all we got unless you guys have anything else
1: uh just stay tuned and we'll keep you updated on how to all the failure how to fail well yeah.
2: <laughs> i'll tell you how i hunt so you know what to avoid you should be all right that's
0: right. <laughs> and go hey, go while you guys are at it go, go subscribe to the youtube we fast past uh 5k this this week so it's oh, really exciting
1: I'll, do you want to uh i guess give a little teaser for next week's giveaway
0: yeah so for you guys that are listening we're gonna we gave away an ha hat this week um on a tiktok video because we were Trying to get to 5K subs, we completed that goal. And one of the things we're trying to do is grow our rating and reviews at the Hunters of Vanish podcast because that helps us reach more people with our message. So we're going to give away either a black or a camo HA hat of your choice if you leave a rating and review on the podcast on Apple Podcasts and send us a screenshot of that on either TikTok or Instagram or heck, if you got our number, text it to us. I don't care. Um, so we know that you've left a rating and a review. Preferably five stars. So, we're going to be running that giveaway next week.
1: But the Instagram messages are kind of shady because sometimes if you send it on Instagram, it'll do it like on a requested message. And so then we move hidden spams. Yeah. But to just do away with all that headache, what you can do, the easiest way, it just if you have a TikTok, look us up on TikTok. And then when Christian posts that video, comment on there. And that's a surefire way. So,
0: for sure yeah that, that's all we got this week thanks for uh listening to us blabber for like an hour and 10 minutes so thanks everybody we'll catch you guys in the next episode bye thank you guys so much for checking out the hunters advantage podcast if you enjoyed the episode make sure to leave us a rating and review on apple podcast spotify youtube or wherever you listen to the podcast thank you guys so much and we'll see you in the
2: next episode